Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for Life with Gwen. I'm Gwen Friss, Lifestyle Editors at the Cape Cod Time, and with me today is someone whose name you may already know because she is well known not only on the Cape, but nationally. And I would like to welcome C.L. Fanari, who is uh, everything gardening. I was not surprised that she came with plants, that she travels with plants, because we don't have one photograph of you, C.L., that doesn't have plants in it. That's right. Well, people ask me for a headshot, and I think, well, you if you get a headshot, you also get a hydrangea shot, you know. That's what we had in the paper today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, welcome. Thank you for coming to the Cape Cod Times Facebook show, and, and uh, we have so many exciting things to talk about. Absolutely. And I know the one that um, many baby boomers and some younger people as well will want to start with, and that is what's happening with growing cannabis? Well, it is now legal in the state of Massachusetts for an individual to grow six plants, cannabis plants, uh, up to 12 per household. And there are certain restrictions on this, Gwen, that they're supposed to be out of sight of the public eye, right? We don't want a cannabis plant to be visible to the nine-year-old who walks past our house, right? So they need to be out of sight and uh, they need to be in a secure location. Anybody can go online and get the exact wording from the state of Massachusetts. But this is really the new tomato. It is the plant that <laughs> everyone wants to grow. I'm gonna have to rethink the fact that I sometimes grow cherry tomatoes. So. <laughs> now. Is it difficult to grow inside? Because I picture it with lights and all that stuff. Well, if you are growing inside, yes. You have to jump through a certain number of hoops with numbers of hours of daylight and the soil and battling powdery mildew and various things. It's actually a better plant to grow outside. It is an easy plant to grow outside. And it's very similar to a tomato if you're growing it outside because it wants full sun and uh, needs some lot of root room in order to get tall. And after that, it's pretty easy to grow. So you would be, it'd be better to grow it in the ground as opposed to uh, in a pot? Well, depending on your property, you might have to grow it in a pot to keep it out of sight, or mm -hmm. you might have to grow it in a pot because, say, a deck is the sunniest place that you have. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, that would be my case. Yeah. yeah. In, in a large container or in the ground, either one is fine. Okay, so but a, a good large container because it has a substantial root system, That's right? right. That's right. These, For the most part, cannabis plants will grow five to six feet tall, maybe even taller. So they need a big pot to support that big root system and also to prevent it from blowing over mm -hmm. because of, you know, they're big yeah. and tall and heavy. That's right. It, uh, you know, it occurred to me I was going to confess to not knowing much about gardening, but <laughs> I don't know much about cannabis either. <laughs> so we're all going to learn together. Well, uh, from, from my point of view, Gwen, um, this is a gateway plant, but not a gateway to other drugs. It is a gateway to rhododendrons and hydrangeas <laughs> <laughs> and other plants that I think people should be growing. So <laughs> That's an interesting way of looking at it. And uh, I did have a question. You know, we've been reading a lot about uh, pets getting into c cannabis, like edibles and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you know anything about whether cats or dogs would be attracted to the plant itself? They're not attracted to the plant itself. They're attracted to the edible that that 
okay. you know, that the plant is in, whether it's something chocolate or a candy or whatever. It's probably as bad for a dog chocolate that's as That's right. As that's what, but they are not attracted to the plant. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, the, I think that's a big question because you may be able to keep it out of sight and, and keep the kids away from it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pets are really... Um, tricky about getting into things. It's interesting with pets because people are very concerned about plants that are toxic to dogs or cats. The reality is much of what's in our landscape is toxic to dogs and cats, but they don't bother it. Right. You know, so if people knew that, you know, every hydrangea in their yard, every rhododendron in their yard is toxic to animals, but the animals aren't going to be by and large eating that. And besides, people need to monitor their pets. You don't want to leave your dog unchaperoned outside, particularly if it's a puppy that might be chewing on a plant when it's bored. So, CL, how hmm. I don't know how you think I'm going to monitor my 18-year-old cat when he goes out <laughs> for his daily walk around the house. Although, you're right, I don't believe after eating his can of uh, salmon or, or chicken or whatever that he's, he's going out looking for a salad to go with it. That's right. So. <laughs> and actually, animals are pretty intelligent about what's good for them and what's not good for them. And so they usually stay away from things that aren't good for them. Oh, and the I say usually because there are exceptions with young puppies, you uh -huh. know, any animal, human or dog or cat, uh, when they're young, they're young and dumb, you know, and you have to protect them. <laughs> And we were way past that that point. Uh, he he kind of goes out. I picture him with a top hat and little yeah. cane. Yeah. You know, he walks <laughs> one time around the house. That's my daily constitutional, and yeah. I am ready to go. Okay. <laughs> so okay. So I forgot to tell you this. If you are watching now and you have questions, you can type them in, and we can you know impose on you to answer them. Sure. Um, so, you know, we, we covered some of the basics on growing cannabis. If you have other questions feel about that or anything that comes up, because we have a lot to talk about today, feel free to type in your question and we'll get an answer for you. So I know that, um, that one of the things that's on everyone's mind mm -hmm. is this cold, rainy spring we're having. It's, you know, when I moved to Cape Cod, Gwen, I was told that on Cape Cod, we have January, February, March, 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 June. And I learned that sometimes the beginning of June is dicey. So this year has really proved that, hasn't it? We feel like we're in the month of March still. It has. Yeah. Well, but, I was told there were no snowstorms in. Oh, you know, well, so. yeah, they, somebody <laughs> lied. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of what this cold, wet weather um, is doing, it does have profound ramifications for our plants. For the rest of the year. For the rest of the year, mm -hmm. that's right. And people are going to be seeing black spot on their roses. They're going to be seeing leaf spot on their hydrangeas. Yeah, this is an example right of a, a hydrangea leaf with a... a, a actual hole in it and the hole has not been eaten that's where a fungal spore got established killed mm. the tissue and then the tissue fell out people will be seeing black spots on their hydrangea that leaves happened with uh, um, um, the other really popular one that's in my yard rhododendrons ah, yes thank you yes yes people <laughs> will be seeing leaf spots on their rhododendron. People will be seeing rust on their plants. Uh, they might look at their blue spruce, for example. I was on a property this morning and there was rust all over that blue spruce plant. Uh, people might be seeing 
that their fruit trees have fewer apples or pears this year. And the reason for that is that during wet, cold weather, the bees aren't flying as much to pollinate these plants. So if you have less fruit set on your fruit tree, this wet, cold spring is to blame. Now, is there anything that you can do for these plants that are suffering? Well, uh, here's the good news. Leaf spot seldom kills a plant. It just looks bad. So oh, okay. we don't have to worry too much about leaf spot fungus. Um, in terms of rusts, you might want, if your plant has rust, you might want to get a positive identification of the type of rust that it is from uh, the Cooperative Extension, mm -hmm. and they will tell you how to treat that if you want to treat it. There are several organic fungicides that are mm -hmm. good uh, to use in these cases, but um, just know that when you see something happening on a plant in July or August, that that might have had its genesis now in this cold, wet spring. And and for our uh, for annuals like the ones you mentioned. Um, Will they repair themselves, you know? Are they better if we have a good spring next year? Will they just come back? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Things like the hydrangeas like and the rhododendrons things. and all, they're, they're going to be fine. Right. They really are. And if a particular leaf gets too many spots on it, mm -hmm. the plant will just jettison that leaf. Oh, okay. Because from the plant's point of view, those leaves are all about photosynthesis. They're the food factories, right? If it's not pulling its weight. And if it's not pulling its weight, the plant is going to lay off those workers. <laughs> wow. I'm going to be more careful walking past my rhododendrons. I didn't realize it was quite so brutal in the, the plant world. <laughs> oh, it's all, it's, it's, with plants, plants all have one mission on this planet, and that is to push their genetics into the future. That's what a plant is all about. Wow. And if we humans remember that, that can sometimes make us feel better. We think that they're all about pretty hydrangea flowers and, and uh, delicious vegetables. But... And we feel like we're <laughs> failing if, if, uh, if they don't That's produce right. as beautifully as usual. That's right. Um, I wanted to stop at one of the things you had said yeah. because uh, that was the bees not being out yet to pollinate. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken recently with um, an organizer from the uh, uh, Pollinating Gardens Project. Okay. And that, that may not be the exact name of it, but uh, they they were trying to get a million gardens mm -hmm. with um, with plants that would encourage pollination. Yeah. And uh, they got more than a million. Everybody yeah. wants to plant something to help. Yes. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, I know it's not your project specifically, yeah. but I'm sure you're familiar with it. Sure. Tell us a little bit about what we can do on Cape Cod to help sure. with pollination. Yeah. Well, if we want to help pollinators, number one, you want a diversity of plants in your landscape. You want a wide variety of things that bloom at different times of the year, some plants that are nectar producing, some plants that are pollen producing. And if you have a wide range of plants, that's a good thing for pollinators. Okay. The second thing we want to do for pollinators is we want a large number of native plants. Mm -hmm. So people, if they're putting in new shrubbery, they may want to ask, uh, you know, how can I incorporate, oh, a third native plants into this planting? Uh, we here on the Cape, of course, uh, Cape and Islands love our hydrangeas, uh, but um, the, you know, the mop heads are not particularly supportive for pollinators, although the lace caps are. So, um, and the other, the third thing that we can do to support pollinators 
is not use a lot of pesticides mm -hmm. that are going to kill off everything. Right. That what we need to remember is one of the first rules of ecology, which is everything is connected to everything else. Mm -hmm. And that when we use a pesticide on our property to say, um, kill the aphids or the Japanese beetles or whatever it is that we seem to be, um, you know, having a problem with, then uh, we are killing off the good insects as well as the bad. Right. So, and also spreading it because that's right. the bees are pollinating it. We have a question that fits right in, mm -hmm. and uh, Jason's getting a workout holding it over his head here. <laughs> uh, this is from Lisa St. Dennis Smith, and she wants to know, what all-natural organic treatments would you recommend for grapevines to prevent disease and bugs? Okay. Well, if you've had a problem with disease on grapevines, I would use one of the organic fungicides, and there are several. Um, many of them are bacterial-based. So basically how they work is that the beneficial bacteria outcompete the bad guys. So if you spray that grapevine or the uh, hydrangea leaf or whatever it is you're treating with these bacterial-based fungicides, the bacteria so colonizes the surface of the leaf that the fungus can't get established. Interesting. And that's quite um, effective for things like powdery mildew and various rust diseases that grapes get. The, this person was asking about grapes. In terms of insects, I don't think you should use anything ahead of time because you may not have an insect problem. You know, we don't want to uh, treat if it's not necessary. Do I remember correctly that um, ladybugs are, can be used to, to control aphids? Here's the story about ladybugs. First of all, for a while, many garden centers were selling cartons of ladybugs. Mm -hmm. I know, um, you know, at Country Garden where I work, they did. And then we discovered that these ladybugs that were being produced for sale for people to put out in their yards and mm -hmm. gardens were not native ladybugs. They were Asian ladybug strains. Oh, That's right. Who then started to take over in the areas where they were being released. And many people now have a, a ladybug problem in their house <laughs> because these Asian ladybugs try and nest in the walls of houses, for example. Oh my goodness. So we realized that this was not a good thing. Um, if you have a diversity of plants on your landscape, you will attract the beneficial insects that are the predators. Ladybugs are just one of them. And I think humans kind of latch onto ladybugs because they're cute, mm -hmm. um, but other less cute insects such as wasps are also predators and we need to encourage all of them in our gardens. You know, as you're speaking, mm -hmm. I, I find myself thinking about like the, the human biome and how we see a lot of focus now on uh, keeping the right uh, pH in our bodies and mm -hmm. keeping the right bacteria in your gut, the gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. It sounds very much like you're addressing those issues for the, um, for the environment that you're in. Yes, and, and I think that we need to realize that um, Often, nature herself brings things into balance. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a, a population, let's say, of aphids that arises, right? Um, we humans, we want to do something quickly. We want right. to make it go away quickly, right? right. Mm -hmm. 
And if you want to make it go away quickly, take your hand and squish them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's all. It can be a little satisfying yeah. to just squish them. But we need to remember that when that happens in nature, a predator will arise that will bring that population of aphids into balance. And that's how nature works, you know. Yes, I know there's a battle between the rabbits and, and the coyotes in my neighborhood, and the coyotes are winning right now. Well, that's good. Uh, that's yeah, good. Go coyote. I'm on team coyote. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> When I see a fox or a coyote run through my property, I say, don't leave with an empty mouth. <laughs> Rabbit and squirrel is on the menu. Take them with you. <laughs> well, I could get on board with that, but I have to tell you, it's much less intimidating to run into a rabbit at night when I get home. Then it is <laughs> a, a coyote. coyote. I understand. So. And, and my driveway is a coyote highway in the night, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> to start getting in the house before dark. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, so that is an interesting thing. As humans, we do live, at least at this part, point in society, in a, in a world where we want to hurry up and fix it. We want to hurry up and fix it, and we have to remember that there are certain rhythms that if we just stand back and do nothing, very often they are self-correcting in nature. Not always, not always, particularly when we have insects that come in from other areas so that we don't have the natural controls here. Uh, the winter moth caterpillar was the one that most Cape and Island people are familiar with and uh, what, over what, the past how years. How did that get here? And well, it came in from another country, mm -hmm. and um, it it devastated our fruit trees and our maples for some time. Now, however, because of a natural, I can't remember whether it's a fungus or bacteria that was released to help control it. Um, but now we see the population of winter moth is, is down quite a bit. And so we, individual homeowners, will not have to do as much treating um, for that particular problem at this point. Well, with that philosophy, CL, I am a pretty good gardener because I do rarely anything and things grow, you know, uh, but, uh, but, you know, your knowledge is, is wonderful to have. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, you brought some plants. Would you like to tell us a little brought, bit about these? Yes, I brought two plants. Um, first of all, uh, I brought a hydrangea. This is a hydrangea from the Monrovia company called Enchantress. And sometimes you'll see it listed as Blue Enchantress. And uh, what's nice about it is that it has black stems. Uh, these flowers are just beginning to come out. They turn a nice medium color blue. And what I've been impressed with about this plant, this variety of hydrangea gwen, is that it's a little bit more bud hardy than a lot of the mop head hydrangeas. You know, here on the Cape, we have great hydrangea happiness when they flower well, and we have great hydrangea hysteria when they don't flower well. Yes, someone told me to ask you whether it was going to be a good year for hydrangeas. Would you mind um, pulling it over just a little bit? Because I can't Not quite see. at all. Here, how about see. that? Can we see it? Can we see it here? I borrowed this plant. Oh, yep, that's much yeah. better. We can't okay. see you, but that's okay. That's all right. I'll <laughs> peer over. Um, I borrowed this plant from Country Garden, and needless to say, it is far more accelerated than our hydrangeas are in the um, landscape right now, right? This might be a stupid question, but is it forced? Is that Well, it comes from a warmer place, oh, okay? okay? And, and the reason that you will find hydrangeas like this in the garden center right now is that 
if the garden center had uh, hydrangeas that, um, uh, if hydrangea, if the garden center had hydrangeas that looked like they look in our landscape, right? Um, no one would buy them because nobody wants to buy a pot full of sticks. Right, right. Right, they, right now they are sticks with a little green on them. And the ones from so, the garden centers are the hope of what uh, the we that's have, right. That's hope right. that we have in spring. So you will find them looking like this, and that's fine because then you can tell that they're going to flower this year and mm -hmm. all. Um, but in the landscape right now, if your hydrangea has green growth on it, you will have good flowers. And if your hydrangea has a whole bunch of bare stems, that's not going to flower as well. And there are some hydrangeas that tend to be more bud hardy. That is that germ of this year's flower um, has made it through the winter better. Mm -hmm. uh, endless summer is one. And that's a good sign. That's a good, yes. And um, this one, uh, the enchantress is another one. So I want to stop for just a quick question. Then yeah. I want to come back with another hydrangea question because they are sure. so important. Kate. Sure. Uh, John Pells is asking, uh, and, and, the, you know, the first reaction is you, but on the other hand, you know, there's the, I know there's been studies around this. Would you use the human waste compost in your vegetable garden? Um, I personally wouldn't, uh, but, and I'm not sure whether he's talking about compost or fertilizer. Usually mm -hmm. when we think of um, human waste, we think of the fertilizer such as melorganite. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I certainly, well, I said, mm -hmm, but I didn't know that yeah. they were using human waste. In oh, oh yes, the city of Milwaukee has has for years and years made fertilizer out of their human waste. Yeah. Um, the well, do they treat it first for the. Oh, of course they treat it. They, I mean, they a lot of treatment, yeah. but yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, of course they treat it. That, <laughs> um, but basically, I think that um, using a compost that is. Um, human waste based, I, I'd have to really know that there were not prescription drugs uh, mm -hmm. in that, mm -hmm. which there might be. So yeah. for a vegetable garden, I think it's just better to use a plant-based compost. Yeah. Yeah. I actually... Or, 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 or a commercially produced something like the uh, Costa Maine lobster compost or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had heard years ago that the problem with um, waste from humans, dogs, and cats is mm -hmm. that it's it's has uh, it it has more um, concentrated bacteria and other things in it that right. you know. Whereas mm -hmm. horses, um, you know, who are just vegetarians right. basically, right. Um, that kind of thing right. is is more usable. Yeah. So, but now you're saying that the, Milwaukee, at least processes it and, for years uh, they have as that's what malorganite is so hmm. and malorganite is useful if you want to repel deer deer don't like the smell of it so <laughs> it's a good fertilizer to use to repel deer but uh, I wouldn't use it in my vegetable garden and this brings up an interesting point about fertilizers um, in general which is never assume that your garden needs fertilizer have a soil test done find mm -hmm. out find out what because there are definite measures like yes. know, numbers that, yes. that you can you can, uh, is there a simple way for us to go over like the numbers that you're looking for in your soil? Uh, not a simple way, no. That's okay. a whole half an hour program in itself. Okay. Uh, well, how, how about. But I would say that um, if you Google University of Massachusetts Soil Testing Lab, mm -hmm. right, you come up with their website, um, they tell you how to send in a soil sample. 
and it cost, I think, $20 to do it. Um, and they'll give you a full report, and they'll tell you what it means for your garden. Do you need to send in multiple ones from different locations? Yes. If you were doing, uh, uh, if you wanted uh, to know what was in your lawn, I'd send in a separate sample for your lawn. Mm -hmm. I'd send in a simple sample, separate sample from a vegetable garden. And if you have any plants that like a specific set of either acidity or alkalinity or something like that, such as blueberries, mm -hmm. you might want to do a separate sample for the blueberry patch or... I was going to yeah. ask um, what we were looking for. So besides pH, are there other things are we looking for? This Is this stupid? Um, question, are we looking for the density of the soil? No, you're looking for, well, phosphorus and potassium mm -hmm. are the two. Uh, nitrogen is the third big nutrient, but usually they don't test for nitrogen. Nitrogen is kind of fleeting in the soil. Mm -hmm. So you don't see that on the soil test. Um, but you, they, you will see phosphorus and potassium on your soil test. You'll see all the micronutrients like magnesium and calcium and that sort of thing. Um, you'll see pH. They can also tell you about organic matter if you want them to test for organic matter as well. You're mad at your neighbor's cat for going where he shouldn't. That's right. So, <laughs> so anyway, so it's interesting because oftentimes we assume that we need to fertilize every year. Mm -hmm. or that we need to lime the lawn, you know, once or twice a year, whatever it is, and that might not be necessary, so. I uh, I was startled. It seemed like there was snow on the lawn one day, yeah. and it's this long now. <laughs> it's just, it was like overnight, you know? Yes, yes. Well, all of this rain, the plants have loved it, mm -hmm. and, and so the plants are off to a good start with this rainfall, and that's a nice thing, as cold and and awful that it's been for us humans who want to get out and plant our tomato plants and it's still too early to do that so but, another thing uh, for us to talk about yeah. i promise one more question yeah. on the uh, um on the plant we're dealing with here and what i have to ask is you said you'll get uh you know fewer flowers less blooming if you're if you're looking at a lot of stalks now is there anything that can be done for that plant not this year not yeah. this year in general for the best bloom on mop head and lace cap hydrangeas. You want varieties that are fairly bud hardy. That's mm -hmm. number one. You never want to cut them down. Don't try and make it smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's above the window of your house, either move it someplace else or live with it as it is. Because the plant, not the house. The plant. Uh, <laughs> move, move the move the hydrangea someplace else. If it's too tall, you're going to lose if you try and keep it short. And um, if you cut it back, then it's going to, um, you know, the hydrangea is not going to bloom as well. So never cut a hydrangea back. Wait to, till May to prune it. Remove anything that doesn't have any leaves on it, any bare canes, remove in May. But anything green that you see, leave it there because that's the germ of this year's flower. Okay. Yeah, got that. So that's the hydrangeas. Can you stay an extra five or six minutes? Sure. Great, because we have more questions. Okay, good. And good. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, well, first of all, let's talk about your new book. Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. So, Look, which I one have, do I have? You yes, have here's the, new here's the, the cover of it. Um, this is right. my latest book. It's called Sand and Soil, Creating Beautiful Gardens on Cape Cod and the Islands. Um, 
I wrote my first book, The Cape Cod Garden, it was in the mid-1990s, right? So that book is now out of print, and it was time to update it anyway, Gwen, mm -hmm. because there are new pests in the area, there are new plants people should know about, uh, plants that everybody was excited about back then, like Leland Cypress, people are less excited about now. Um, so it, it was time to write a new or? book. Uh, Leland cypress are not invasive. They just grow fast into a problematic, ugly plant. Ah. And um, they've been planted as screening all over the Cape because they are fast growing, but they're fast growing to ugly. And ah. uh, so it's... it's You're Keeping people's privacy and now people are fighting to get out of the house. Well, they're, yes, and, and, and it's just, um, you know, they get to be kind of octopus plants that require professional pruning and they're far too big for the average line, landscape and they get bad winter damage and they get diseases and it, it's right. not the plant we hoped it would be. So the name of that plant once more? Leland Cypress, don't okay. do if it. If you run into a Leland Cypress, just <laughs> there are say alternatives. no. There yeah. are, are, there are alternatives that also grow fast that are far better plants. So, okay. so that's just one example of why I did this book. Um, this is uh, out from David Godine, a publisher in Boston. Mm -hmm. So um, a good regional publisher, and uh, it concerns all the, the latest plants and problems and uh, basically what people need to know in order to grow plants well in this area. And it's just a beautiful book, I can tell you, you. You know, lovely, heavy stock, very nice to, to thumb through. And mm -hmm. of course, one of my favorites, how many mm -hmm. books do you have now? Eight. Eight books, but one of my favorites <laughs> is The Cocktail Hour Garden, because this came out at the perfect time when, when we were seeing a trend, um, as food and dining person, yeah. seeing a trend towards savory cocktails, uh -huh. and uh, many of the things that you grow to cook with um, can be a part of your cocktail as well, and really Absolutely. brighten the taste of yeah. um, vodka, gin, um, all the white Liquors, right? I, I can't. I don't remember. Do, is there any uh, brown liquor recipes, or are most of these cocktail recipes think of white? Most of them are white, and that probably comes from my preference. Um, so, uh, my my fellow podcast host, um, I do a podcast called Plant Rama, and my co-host is Ellen Zakos, who lives in New Mexico. She is the author of the Wild Crafted Cocktail. She likes the darker spirits, oh. so she goes for the bourbon and the and the you know the brandies and the this and the that, and um, so we make a, a kind of a good team because I go for the lighter uh, color. Uh, give me tequila anytime, and uh, oh, I so. missed that one. I got to read this book again. Oh yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> so uh, uh, this is the the cocktail garden, and you know I remember when right. you uh, introduced it, you had a cocktail party. Yes, in a garden. Yes, I had several cocktail so. parties and. Uh, and still do occasionally when I speak about that subject at places they will serve cocktails based out of the book. So that's fun. It, yeah. It, uh, and, and like I say, it's, you know, if you grow a plant um, like the one in front of us, okay, I have questions. I'm going to stop yeah. for a second and then okay. I'll go back to the plant. Um, oh, that's a good question. Lisa oh. St. Dennis Smith asks, do deer like eating cannabis plants? Yes, they do. <laughs> so, so if you see um, deer staggering around yeah. on your deck, well, then no, they won't. You know, if you just ingest a raw cannabis plant, it does not get you stoned. Ah. People, you know, it, in in order for to feel the effects of cannabinoids like THC, it has to be heated. 
So oh. a person could eat a raw cannabis plant and not feel those effects. A deer can eat that raw cannabis plant and not feel those effects. Just feel like he's at a salad. So, so that's right. So um, if you are growing cannabis, you will need to protect them from deer. Okay. Just like uh, the hosta. Like the hosta. That's right. And for people who have deer, the best product that I can recommend is wireless deer fence. If you Google wireless deer fence, um, it's a, a thing invented by a veterinarian, and I control deer on two and a half acres with six of them. So you can read all what about kind it of online. Investment is it? And they you know. they cost in their sets of three, and they cost about thirty bucks oh, for a okay. set. I mean, so it's not that. You don't have to take out yeah. a home equity loan. No, you don't have to take out a loan. You don't have to special wire your your property well, or anything great. like that. So people great. can read about it online, wireless deer fence. Okay. So, and yeah. we have a second question on the cannabis, which is how should interested people get started with growing cannabis? Um, are there classes at mm -hmm. Country Garden? And uh, I, I guess my question in addition to that is like, where do you buy the plants? Right. Well, um, seeds. buying plants is a little more problematic in that this plant is still against federal law. And so um, it is, uh, if you're buying plants, you have to find someone who is selling it. It is a cash business. If you're buying seeds, you will need to either order the seeds from overseas or you order them from a supplier in the United States and you send in cash. It is a cash business <laughs> for that, that uh -oh. reason. Yeah. And it sounds so, a little but, nefarious. Well, no, uh, I think, no, it's not. It's really, and it's only a matter of time because it, be, yeah, when it's going to be legal federally. Right. It really is. It's about, only a matter get, of time. This is so, maybe a stupid question, but can you get like a cutting from, um, from a friend's plant? Well, if you know what you're doing, you can get a cutting from a friend's plant. You have to get that cutting early on. If the plant is starting to flower already, that's more problematic in terms okay. of taking cuttings. You get it early. Um, the questioner asked about uh, classes at Country Garden. Yes, Country Garden uh, gives sporadic classes in all types of plants, uh, including growing cannabis. And, but I'm thinking um, that's probably a popular one right now. Yeah, so well, it certainly was this winter when I did pro cannabis propagation. It was a popular class, and I'm sure that we will be doing more there because their business is about helping people grow plants, and that's one of them, so... Do you just happen to know, because you seem to know, have, you know, researched and know a lot about cannabis, mm -hmm. it, what's the deal with CBD oil? Is that... Uh... Well, CBD is one of the cannabinoids, and um, it is a cannabinoid that um, people feel has great promise for a number of things, whether it's muscle aches applied topically, or uh, insomnia, or... Uh, arthritis, for example. Here's the thing, Gwen, is because this plant has been outlawed federally, there have not been good studies, mm -hmm. scientific, gather the data studies on any cannabinoid, CBD or THC or any others. These things need to be studied more you know, um, to catch up with us. Yes, in order to, because it they may be very helpful with some things, or they may not. Mm -hmm. um, I know that some people find CBD to be very helpful with uh, anxiety or very helpful with arthritis. And it's not taken internally; it's uh, 
it rubs? can be either. either. It can be a topical. Some of it is topical and some of it is taken internally. That's right. CBD is now legal in all states. So um, isn't it non it doesn't have a hallucinogenic. It does not or, have. That's right. It does not have a mind altering. See, I'm um, so grown up that I was about to say it doesn't get you high. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> so um, so it's you know, and it's like any herbal medicine. People need to be cautious. They need to do a little bit of their research. Mm -hmm. um, so you know you you can't assume that because it's a plant, it's automatically safe whatever you do mm -hmm. you know there are certain plants that have traditionally be been used as medicines like uh, comfrey for example mm -hmm. that actually if you in, ingested in large amounts can be carcinogenic so uh -huh. you know there has to be some um, caution when it comes to herbal medicines. I number hear one. A, a story coming on we'll have to talk yeah. about that and yeah some doctors. And, and they're also um, it will be great once people can actually do the research on various cannabinoids and get some data, mm -hmm. uh, some science-based information, because there's a lot of bad information out there. And, uh, you know, and bad information lives forever on the internet. And that's so... Um, Along with bad reputations. That's right. Um, so. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I sort of thought that if you grew your own uh, cannabis plants that that they would be organic and and healthier and everything, but I guess it depends partly on the seed. Well, it, it, not the seeds as much as as um, what products you use or don't use. And even organic doesn't mean that it's safe. Um, mm -hmm. There's some thought people have uh, been using neem oil. N e e m comes from a nut of a tree. Neem oil has been uh, used. It's available in every garden center for both a fungicide and an insecticide, and it is an organic treatment. And people have used it on cannabis um, for that reason, but it may not be safe if you are ingesting that plant, uh, particularly if you are smoking that plant. And uh -huh. so, if you because are because you're adding the heat, and that's right. So, action. if you are growing cannabis, do not. Um, use neem as a fungicide on that plant if you plan to, to smoke it. To smoke it because that is interesting. Not, yeah, it's very helpful. Yeah. Um, remember that uh, you can uh, go to Country Gardens, check their website. Um, do you want? Do you want to tell us the website? Do you have that? Or is oh, that where uh, hyannascountrygarden.com. Okay, and. The other thing, now I know that's a national podcast you do, which is yeah. fun. That's Plant Rama. That's right. And you have a longtime radio show. That's right. I, I do Garden Line every Saturday morning on WXTK. It's a call-in program live, so people can call up with their garden questions. Great. Speaking of which, yeah. Jason, are we caught up with our questions? We're okay there. <laughs> okay. Well, there is one more thing we have to do before yes. you go, and that is you told me that oh, I should yes. have this on my desk so that I could relax with it, and yeah. I think that's a great idea, but talk about this just a little bit. Yeah, later. well, that's, this is a plant that every single person mm -hmm. watching should have in a pot on their deck or patio for aromatherapy. This is lemon verbena, and you smell it, and you feel good, right? Can I take one off? Of, of course. Um, you just It makes you feel good. Now, you can use this plant in cocktails. Mm. You can use it in tea. It makes a lovely garnish in any beverage, whether it's lemonade or sparkling water. So you could just chew it. Or you could just chew it, or you can just pinch off 
and smell it. And what I love to do with this plant, I think it actually smells better than it tastes personally, because you, you really get the lemony, perfumey aroma from it. And um, I, what I like to do is before I leave the house in the morning, I have a, a big pot that has one of these plants. And this little plant, which I you know, borrowed from the garden center today, this little plant, um, if you put it in a bigger pot, it will grow to be you know, uh, two feet tall and wide by the end of the summer. I bet it's great with seafood recipes. And, and good with seafood recipes. But what I like is I go out before I leave the house in the morning and I pinch off a piece of that plant and I take it in the car with me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's like having a little, you know, aromatherapy session in the car. It uh, could be the answer to road rage is what I'm thinking. Oh, that, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I have to tell you that I think it tastes pretty good. It tastes like oh, tea. Yes. And I'd like to apologize to Country Garden for eating part of your plant. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it was good though. Yeah. You know? But it, it is a plant that, you know, you, you hand it to any person and they smell it and they say, oh, oh yes. Is this there is what I love. other uh, um, flavors, other scents that you can think of in this kind of plant? Well, no, not this this particular plant, but of course, mints are wonderful to have in mm -hmm. a pot. In fact, a pot is the place to plant a mint because they are thugs. They want to take over the world. Um, but you put them in a pot, and then you can smell them. And there's a there's a variegated pineapple mint that smells like pineapple. Oh, I gotta buy one of those. Oh yeah, you have to have one of those. And that the lemon good for ver cocktails. Oh yeah, the lemon verbena, and of course the regular uh, spearmint for mojitos and all of that. Wow, so, that so, sounds great. And 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 speaking of cocktails, one of the hottest herbs for cocktails now is basil. Yes, I've noticed that. Basil is a hot cocktail herb. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank all you guys for coming. Um, it's a real treat to to have you here. We're with C.L. Fanari and well-known garden <laughs> expert. Um, any questions uh, she can answer. And it's just a pleasure to, to share your knowledge. So well, thank you for coming. It's fun to be here, and it's always fun to talk about plants, Gwen.